coming to you live from Parkview Studios. We're in the sauna tonight. <laughs> this is... It feels like a sauna. This is the Brothers Catch-Up, a weekly podcast where two brothers come together and all they do is, is drink catch beer. Up. Yeah. I'm Sal Biazzi and with me, as usual, is my brother. Frankie Biazzi. Boy, did we have a long week. What a fun weekend. Father's Day, my first Father's Day. Congratulations. Thank you. To be honest, I went into Father's Day thinking like, okay, I don't even celebrate my birthday. There's no way I'm going to get into Father's Day. I was into Father's Day. Happy, you, you, had a great day, it was fun, I you was celebrated. and played wiffle ball and swam in a pool. What's not to like about great, that day? Great day. <laughs> Honestly, Father's Day and Mother's Day are probably better than any of the birthdays because... But it was actually celebrated Juneteenth as well in a, part, in a joint ceremony. But your birthday could fall on like a Tuesday. Father's Day can't fall on a Tuesday. It is always a Sunday. Yes. And a Sunday is a great picnic day, it's a great barbecue day, it's just a great... Also... The inventors of Mother's Day and Father's Day really got it right. Like, yeah, uh, on the weekend in May and June, we're just going to have a holiday. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, so it was a good time. But, yeah, I was exhausted all day today. You out-partied yourself? <laughs> I kind of did. A little sore. I was exhausted today, too, and I don't know why. All the sun. Like it was, was the first just, time this summer that I've gotten like a lot of sun, which is good. I was so tired. I felt out of it. And then I took a nap and then I felt great. Now that I work so much, I never get as much sun as I used to when I was little. Um, so that was a good thing. Father's Day was great. My daughter Rose is a blessing on this earth. And we, you came. It was good. And now, uh, I don't know. There's so much we could do. I wanted to, you didn't even notice we're in the sauna. People who listen to this podcast knows that Parkview Studios grows every as we listen. The studio grows. I would say at this point we have like a legitimate studio, right? Kind of. It's it a nice kind space. Kind of feels that way. You like what I did with the garage? I think Are you we'll, impressed? Yes, I'm very impressed. Describe to the listeners the transformation. Oof. All right. It was a garage. Picture. Picture any garage that's just filled with garbage. But I have a pretty big garage. It's a two-car. Is it two-car? It's got to be two-car. There's two cars outside. Look like you fit them in here. All right. Picture a two-car garage that's filled with crap. <laughs> now, picture a two-car garage that is less filled with crap <laughs> and has a counter and drawers and shelves and a couch and some chairs to record a podcast in. Yeah. It's a good space. I think the feng shui is nice. It's got good feng shui. I like being able to record the podcast and also look at like my lawnmower. You know, I think it'll keep us grounded. Do you have any catch-ups you want to make? Um, let me think You didn't play here. baseball. There's I didn't get to play canceled. baseball this week, and I'm really pissed about it. Because um, I, was, I was hot, man. My bat was, was cooking, and now I got a week off, so I'm going to try to get to the batting cages this week so I can get some swings in. Um, so if you want to do that, you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to go back to the range. Uh, I'm actually planning on doing that this weekend with Amanda, so we should do that. Yeah. Um, ba, 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 ba. 
trying to think. I don't know. I feel like nothing really happened in my life. Wow, that's pretty boring. I know. I don't know. (laughs) Yesterday, I cooked... It's like I have those pizza crusts and like flatbread crusts in my freezer. Okay. And since we were at the barbecue yesterday, we were like... We knew we weren't going to want like a full dinner, but we got hungry at like 9 o'clock. We're like, hey, let's just throw like a pizza and a flatbread in the oven. Yeah. So the flatbread, all I did was put garlic salt and butter on it to make it like garlic bread and then I made a pizza take the garlic bread out and it looks really good I'm like oh I'm excited to eat this and I'm trying to cut into it and it's just like not cutting all the way I'm like what the fuck is going on I accidentally put two flatbreads in with a sheet of plastic in the middle and so like the plastic just baked into both of the flatbreads <laughs> and I just had to throw it out and I was really Aww. upset about it. At least it didn't catch fire or something. Yeah, that's that would have been you also, you, not ideal. You also started a new podcast. Oh, I did start a new podcast. Everyone should go listen to the new podcast. Yeah. It is a Survivor podcast called Tally the Votes. You're big into Survivor. Big into Survivor. I've talked we've talked about it on this podcast. I like Survivor, I want to go on Survivor. But instead of me going on Survivor, I just started a Survivor podcast. Maybe that'll help you get on Survivor easier someday. Uh, it, you run a risk, though, of becoming like well-known in the Survivor community, <laughs> and then you go on, and then people you're a know who you are, and yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> but yeah, what's the name of it? Tally the Votes. I contributed. Yep. I don't watch Survivor myself. I watch some... I've seen Survivor. Everyone but I don't survival. watch it as you and Rachel both watch it. Rachel and Frankie are hosting my, the yeah, show. My co-host is your wife, Rachel. It's fantastic. It's a great show. Episode 1 is up on Spotify, iTunes, and is it tallyvotes.com? I don't know. Oh. I don't think it has a website. R- what's the RSS? RSS is Tally the Boots. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so you should all go listen to that. It's pretty yeah, good. it's really good. Uh, once the new season comes out, we will... Obviously, break down each episode as it comes out, like, the night of. But for now, leading up to the new season, we're just recapping an older season. We're doing season 27, which is Blood vs. Water, which is a fun season. So, if you've never watched Survivor and you want to get into it, what I would suggest you do is... You can watch Survivor on Paramount+. Plus. You can watch it on Hulu. Um, I don't know where else you could watch Survivor. But, go to episode twenty, go to season 27 and just start watching along with us and... Listen to each episode as you as you watch it, and it's gonna be. I think it'll be a good time for you, and you'll enjoy it. So I wanted to bring up a topic for this week's episode, um, but I I feel like we're both so exhausted. So let's. I want to just keep it short. So here's the question I want to pose to you: What is happening right now? It's Monday. It's nice outside. It is beautiful out. Uh, <laughs> what is happening right now? I mean more, what is happening right now in this moment in time? I feel like we're in a very strange place. We've now kind of exited the COVID era, but I feel like we're still being taunted with it, with the vaccine and the variants that they keep holding over our heads. 
but there is this real urge to free ourselves from that phase. But politics after the G7 meeting, both domestically and abroad, are pretty calm. We're out of the hysteria that we were in a few months ago with China. I think what's happening right now. I think we're. I think what COVID did was. I think we're gonna experience um time similar to like the sixties. Like I think we're gonna get like a new wave of just like freedom. this freedom and liberty of people not giving an f about what anyone has to say. I and hope so. That'd be great. Like yesterday at the U.S. Open, there was a man. Who just ran out on into a fairway with a golf club, dropped a couple balls down, took a great swing, hit the ball, and then ran away from security. <laughs> That's awesome. That has never I've never seen that happen on a golf course. You see streakers and stuff all the time during football and baseball, right? Yep. But on a golf course at the US Open? The classiest fans in all the sports? Love it. So I don't know. I think maybe that's where we're headed. Like a nice little... Uh... Like a cultural revolution. Yeah. If we can't get the political revolution... Yeah, why not? Maybe there'll be a cultural revolution. Like, like I think... I tend to think if a cultural revolution happens, it might be a little more conservative than what happened in the 60s. Like, I could see there'd be a it real be. revolt against, like, the institutions. So, like, instead of Planned Parenthood being this dominant and protected force, it becomes discouraged to, like, support those types of ideologies. Where there's kind of a pushback against the cultural institutions that have been I'm indoctrinating. A, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Yes. In my lifetime, we're going to see the death of schools. Cool. Yeah, I think homeschooling, I think that's a really good yeah. indicator of that kind of mentality that's taking over. I think over. homeschooling is going to be the way to go. I think I'm really going to strongly consider like, homeschooling I, Rose. Like, I already decided for my future kids, like, I, I like I want to do homeschooling. And my, my decision to do homeschooling isn't even based on, like, any sort of political... Or the only reason why I want to do homeschooling is I felt like I got an expensive education and I feel like I didn't really learn anything. Like I feel like anything I could have learned in school, I could have easily learned outside of school. I don't think school necessarily did anything for me other than develop like social skills. But if you're part of a good homeschool group, the social like it's not like the the stigma on homeschool, right? Is like Oh, you're weird and you don't know people and you don't hang out. Like that's that's just not the case anymore, at least. No, not at all. Um, yeah. Well, and what also, one week when we're recording out here, I would love if we could just grab a guy or a woman who's just walking their dog, bring him in, and let him talk on the podcast. Just an interview of random people. I think it'd be a good dynamic to have that like no other podcast does. I'm I'm not opposed. Like. Hey, excuse me, sir. You want to come in here and just uh, talk a little bit? We'll ask you some questions. What do you do? What are you doing? It's a pretty dog. What's his name? <laughs> hey, I think we shoot our shot soon. So I do agree. I think that right now we're kind of in this. We're in a, like a like a holding pattern, right? Yeah. Like, it's just like everyone's. We don't know where we're going yet, so we just got to hold. And until we're told. What happens? We're gonna. We're all waiting to see. Yeah. What shoe drops? Exactly. And until then, just just, just gotta just, get ready. Just get ready.
however you see fit, whether that's stocking up on food, water, seeds, selling personal possessions, buying precious metals, whatever it may be, whatever your version of getting ready is. Maybe your version of getting ready is just like, right now, just go live life to the fullest because we don't know if next month they take it away from us again. Exactly. Exactly. I'm a little leery of the calm before the storm mentality. I feel like we've been in this pattern now for over an election cycle, which is which means it's worse than worse than it could be, if that makes sense. Like when this type of unease lasts for a year or two over a society, it's an indication that something's wrong. When it's lasts when it lasts this long, which now we're closing in on like a half a generation, that it's an indication to me that society's failed. And when societies fail, uh, that things become very unpredictable. And anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen are completely lying to you. But you have to be ready for anything at this point. I didn't see the podcast going this way, by the way. Yeah. You were like, we're just going to be just a quick little, we'll catch up, and then you're like, let's take it dark again for... 10 minutes. Is it dark? I think it's dark. Like, I don't think we need it to, to <laughs> get into the weeds in this segment. <laughs> I guess it is dark. I thought we could have just talked about like... The garage this would have been, been a perfect time to talk about magic. And you ruined it. <laughs> could have talked about magic, damn it. All I'm saying is... There is a malaise over society right now that is, I would agree with you. We get it. We're all yeah. going to die. No, we're not going to die. Not if, we're, not if we band together. But I do think that this week has been stressful. And everyone, we all had a nice Father's Day, so maybe we should just... Yeah, like after easy. your beautiful day yesterday celebrating you being a father with your daughter, you come in here after, and you're just like, it's over. It's over. Everyone be cautious. Something's going on. That's not what I said. We can't enjoy anything. That's not what I said at all. Also, this the beer did put me in like a better mindset, though. <laughs> Feeling good. Because <laughs> it's so hot. Like, I like drinking beer when I'm really sweaty. I played golf on last Thursday. Yes. Thursday? Friday. Are you going home right after last this? Friday. And I have to record a podcast over this. I was want to walk over to that park. I have to record a podcast. It's so nice, though. You can walk over to the park. I want to show you the park. I have to record a podcast. But I played golf last week. It was just wonderful, even though I played horribly. Just relax. You just got to sometimes enjoy enjoy life for what it is. That's what I do. You know? Like, all right, maybe we don't know what's what's coming next or what's going to happen. But that's Okay. Because what we know right now is it ain't that bad. It could be a lot worse. Be be thankful. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the podcast. I'm going to end it. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. That's all no, you don't. I agree with you. End the podcast. <laughs> At the end of the day, put it in the jar. We have to all realize we're in it together. And while you're right, it could be worse, that's the mentality of any oppressed society, dude. How much better could we have it? 
I'm not getting into this. <laughs> I'm pleading the fifth the rest of this podcast. All right, well, I guess with that, we'll just have a short podcast. And we'll see you next week. Alright, uh, if you're listening to this, that means you're sticking around for the post, and if you're sticking around for the post, I'm going to assume that you've listened to previous episodes and you've realized that after the squirt, as we call it, sometimes, or pretty much all of the time, we have an additional content strapped onto the back end, and in this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about James Corbett, specifically about James Corbett, and then hammer in a little bit about the Q segment of his most recent video and why it's a good synopsis of what the Q movement is, but why I think that people then dismiss it and the mistakes we make when we dismiss it. Um, but first, an introduction to James Corbett and my introduction to James Corbett. Um, I've brought him up previously on the podcast. He was probably one of the reasons in my life that I've come to believe the things I believe more than anything. And I've never been a consistent podcast listener of his. Like, I don't tune in every week to hear his podcast. And for there have been long stretches of time where I don't watch him or listen to him at all. But I started listening to him in 2012 when I started really examining... 9-11 more closely because he has some of the best 9-11 content you can find. There are a few other channels and avenues where there's great 9-11 content, but if you're looking into the basics, James Corbett's always a good place to start. But what you find when you start watching James Corbett documentaries and videos is that he is a prolific challenger of establishment thinking. So... While he's considered a radical in the same way that Alex Jones is considered a radical and, why, and so many others, James Corbett is on another level when it comes to diligence and responsibility uh, 
And when it comes to journalism, I would consider him someone like Assange in their pursuit of truth, like the, the, the honest truth, trying to get that out there. We don't have many figures who have operated as long as James Corbett and as consistently as James Corbett on their own and independent of he's, the establishment. He's very unique in the sense of kind of what you said, that he challenges the, the mainstream but man, what an absolute, like, uh, you don't even have to agree with anything that he he talks about, although it's not really opinion-based. Everything he does is factually based. You can look things up. and It's sourced. It's all sourced. And it's, it's brilliant work. Like, what he does is absolutely brilliant. And to have someone who is actually doing that work is such a blessing cuz like it's not easy like what like I can't imagine what he does is easy like the work he must put in to each episode each documentary each thing he puts out has to be weeks and months years like I can't even imagine just the sheer volume of things he has read yeah like he knows so much so it's really impressive, and I also find him to be, um, like addicting. Like I always find in, uh, like, I don't know if we talked about this in the religion episode, but typically when I read a story, or when I was getting into reading the Bible, I get so sidetracked because like, I like to really understand the full scope of a topic. It's like once I start reading things, the second I encounter a word, a person, uh, uh, an event, something that I don't know about. Well, now I have to stop what I'm doing. I have to go now research that event because I want to get full context of things. And with Corbett, I feel that same way. Like I watch one video and I'm like, wow, that video was really great. But he mentioned 15 things in that video that I didn't even know existed. Now I have to go watch each one of those videos. And then each one of those videos, he's going to talk about something I didn't know about. And it's like a never ending hole of just alternative thinking. Well, the truth is addicting, and it's ironic that James yeah. Corbett is an alternative thinker because all he usually does is present the facts as they are laid out. And when you do that in certain stories, you uncover the, the truth that a lot of the things that we believe about certain things are different from the way they actually are. Now, he released recently, yesterday or two days ago, depending on when you're listening to this, a podcast episode of the Corbett Report called Hopium, A History of Hopium. And it was great. And I shared it to the people I in my circle who I would share it with. And Which is who? Who's in that circle? You and Rachel. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was like a... A big how big? Yeah, like, I don't know how, no, big there's your, no big, there's no how big your circle is of like, look at this! Because it was... You know, like, like you send me stuff all the time. I send you stuff all the time. What what do you what would you say the percentages of like if I send you a YouTube video that's fifty minutes long? How often are you gonna watch that whole video? I do most of the time. Okay, like, like I watch because you send me like a lot of stuff, and I I will always click on things you send me. That doesn't mean I will always finish it. I will always indulge it. I clicked on the the Corbett video. In the name alone, I was like, huh, hopium. I was like, what is? What is that? 
And then I think the I think it took him thirty seconds, and I was like, well, like I'm watching this whole thing. Like it's yeah. it was that good. And man, are we gonna get right into it? Cause yeah, go for it. I felt I felt so dumb afterwards, but in a good way. Like I, I think that's okay. And I'll, I'll expand on that as we get into it. But like, I think it's okay to walk away from that video going, I've been had, and I'm dumb. But we all are, and that's okay. I think when you start from the foundation, which is what I try to do, is that I don't know anything, right? Like, neither of us know anything. We entertain all possibilities, and that is what makes the conspiratorial person or the conspiratorial minded different from the mainstream minded. Yeah. So, from but that I, perspective, I don't feel dumb because see, I, I, maybe that's where we're different because like I try to have that mindset. But like I'm so guilty of falling into the trap of like, no, I know, I know better, I know more. When I don't, like I, I truly don't. I don't know anything. I don't know anything more than anybody. I probably know less than a lot of people. But it's it's so easy to fall into that. So let's assume the people listening have they they did not watch this video. What, yes. what is this video about? What is hopium? So it walked you through the last essentially two decades of presidential candidates, and even a little bit more, um, and how the political yeah, I mean, system it goes all the way back to Ike. The political system requires. The Deus Es Machina, which is the god from the machine, or the, to come the and, Deus Ex Machina, if you yeah. want to pronounce it that way. But yeah. so, and how it comes out because it used every to every four years to keep people because what in the system, right? Like back in the times of like these, uh, if you go back in in history and kings and queens, and before that we had like gods and rulers, and like this is who you put your your hope. Let's say that's what you put it in, right? And then it became kings and queens, and now we're at this stage in our our world where our leaders are these political hacks that we are told are going to be our saviors. Yes. And so, like he talks about, obviously Clinton, Bush, before that, uh, he talks about Eisenhower and different people. But, like, the two biggest focuses of this video are, are the Obama yep. and Trump. Yep. And I think that's part of the reason why I walked away from that video loving it so much is because, like, I'm not – I try to be one of those people where, like, you can make fun of me. You can call me out. I will try not to be defensive, and I will accept it. Because if you're right, and if I can see that you're right – I want to change my I mind. I want to change my mind. It's so like – I was, I mean, maybe not as much as you, and you can talk about this, but, like, I was sold on Barack Obama. I thought Barack Obama was a savior. No, but I was, too. I thought he was going to change our our fundamental way of life in America. Yes. I thought that. Well, that was voting for Barack Obama the first time. Now, by the time I voted for him the second time, I didn't feel that way. But, but I still believe that he was better, they, the better candidate. They had already, they already gave you the drug of hopium. And you were hooked. And by the I mean, time was, he was leaving Obama's, office... Uh, the bumper stickers for Barack Obama legitimately were hope... And change. And change. Yeah. Like, what? So, this is a good time for me to bring up my first gripe with 
Corvus video, but it's not a gripe. Like, I highly recommend this video. But I disagree with him in one of his analyses about Trump specifically because no, he misses an opportunity, which is what a lot of people miss when they talk about the Trump movement and what was a little bit different. Just a little bit. It's a nitpick. But it wasn't all hopium. Like, it wasn't just people hoping Donald Trump would do something radically different. It was a lot of it was just disenchantment. And that's different. Like, a lot of people didn't expect Trump to do anything, but probably suck. But he was going to be different. Because And it was, was just like, well, listen. I mean, I think that's But does kinda, that count? I kind of think that's how we both wound up with Trump, though, right? Yes. Like, I was full on, like, my the, the saying, burn it up or burn it down. If yeah. it wasn't going to be Bernie, I'm burning the establishment down. I thought the way to do that was through Donald Trump. And maybe and maybe that that is hopium in a way, right? Like I was hopeful that Trump was going to be this huge difference maker. I was so upset with everything else. I was like, "Ah, screw it. Like this guy, even if he doesn't do anything." But at the end of the day, I do I still think that is hopium. Yeah. But going back to Obama, I actually kind of think you can nitpick there too a little bit. I still, to this day, tend to believe that Obama, first term, not second term, first term, was kind of similar to Trump in this idea of, like, he actually was, in, I, th I really believe he was intending to be different. I disagree. He ran against Hillary Clinton. Like, he didn't have to do that. Obama's like, funders are Saudi Arabian princes. So, like, he, he yeah. was put through college by, like, foreign interests. But if, if anything, him, Hillary and Obama were just different competing subvertive interests for the same But then position. we can go back to our episode from a couple of weeks ago about, like, what are we fighting? Like, why? Like, why do we have two people who are the... We're different, different sides of the same for, coin. Yeah, like, but puppets. But that's maybe the a more a better example of the power structure. So, like, China brags, but it's not just China, right? We can talk about the Iwan brothers. We can go into deep, dark conspiracy avenues. The Iwan brothers, Feinstein's driver, uh, Fang Fang with Swalwell. Like, how deeply are we infiltrated by spies from any <coughs> single country? So if Barack Obama's not a spy, but he's just funded the same way Harvard presidents are funded by China, by a Middle Eastern interest, and then you get into Obama's background and he couldn't be more CIA sheep dip spooky. Yeah. So, like, I don't buy it. And then you look at Valerie Jarrett and Susan Rice and the other people he surrounds himself with, and it's like, okay, well, this is just a cacophony of, you know, seedy, I believe the word you're looking spies. for is sarcophagus. No, carcophony. No, sarcophagus. Sarcophagus is like a carcophon. It's, like it's like, yep. A carcophony is like a very broad uh, gr grouping. Anyway. <laughs> Alright, so the video um, really continues with this idea, though, of, of hopium. This drug that is sold to the public through political saviors. Yes. And that we treat these people... Like their their saviors, and I and then we get into the Trump part, and I wasn't sure because like, as he's talking about everyone before Trump, I mean, I'm already doing like the self diagnosis, like looking inward and go, man, I'm guilty of all of this with Trump. Like, like I did look at Trump. I was so guilty of like the uh, 
the Geotis stuff? Is your yes. phone just shattered? No. Like, and it's like I was like I hope that's where this video is going, and sure enough, it is. And then we get into the Trump part, which is like, yeah, I did look as tr- at Trump as a savior. I really did, yeah. uh, and I can admit that. And and I think, but that's what I mean by but saying kind like, of I think it's okay. Way, exactly. Like you know what, this guy. <laughs> yeah. I I thought it would be Obama. I thought it would be this person. I thought it was Trump. But you know what? I will never make that mistake again. Yeah. Never again will I put my hope, my faith, my my beliefs in the hands of anybody, anybody on the political stage, whether it's a Trump-like figure, an outsider, or someone as inside as could be. It doesn't matter. Like yes. Those people are designed to do what they did, and that is to drum up this hope that this time it's different, nothing happens, literally nothing happens, and then we all go, eh, well, maybe next time it'll be different. It's never going to be different. It's always going to be the same. And then Corbett in this video brings up Q stuff, and I think that's where you kind of have a little bit of an issue. I have no not, issue with the Q not stuff. Not issue. But I do want to... I do want to say, like again, I think he misses an opportunity here because everyone diagnoses the Q phenomenon from one of two perspectives, but there's never the third perspective, which is someone who actually followed along with Q. How how come? Like how come no? That's what I am. How come I haven't seen that anywhere? Well, it's the same thing with Pizzagate. Like there's a whole bunch of people who can diagnose Pizzagate, but not a lot of people were there doing it. Yeah. So because I guess those voices just get silenced but i'm a q guy and i'm not i still have a q sticker on my car because like i'm in, i'm in it there's a someone on your street five houses down <laughs> who's got a where we go one we go all sticker and that's why what, okay why but why did go. this why did this uh this movement whatever the movement is why did it take so hold? corbett is 100 percent right to diagnose it as hopium you can't at this point say it was anything else my only the only thing I ever said definitively about Q, and if you look through all my public posts about Q, and this is the first time I, well, I have a blog post. I don't really remember what I said in that blog post about it. I just, but I know the only thing I really ever committed to is saying I it's worth know. following yeah. along. I don't know what it is. It's worth following along, and it was worth following along because it was clearly actually directed by the Trump administration. They never denied that. Every time Trump was ever directly asked about it by someone with Q. He absolutely led the possibility and even implied the pointing that, at the signs at rallies, all of it. Yes. So now, if it if it was a psyop, why would he do that? Okay. He wouldn't, right? If it's deliberate hopium, it goes to show how it it's important not to just dismiss it, which I feel Corbett did. Corbett says it's hopium. We have to ignore this stuff. Q is uniquely different. Q was something that was there, directed by the establishment to then protect itself. It knows it's in danger. What is happening? Why? Who was Q? What was the purpose and what was that messaging campaign? Because in the end, the messaging wasn't the, the, the thing they always bring up. People who want to criticize Q is just those few first posts. Those few first posts quickly became irrelevant. To what Q was. We all knew that the first posts were predictions that never happened. The point was everything else that happened after were pictures from inside Air Force One 
are being leaked on 4chan, where, where White House ornaments in Trump Tower are referencing things that Trump are tweeting out later. It became an alternate reality game with the central message of something that James Corbett doesn't even mention, which is where we go one, we go, go all. So that's a really strange message if it is the establishment directing a psyop against Corbett, the people. And Corbett even uses um, video of Michael Flynn yeah. in it. And like that's where... like. Someone has to how, sit down how with Michael deeply, Flynn. And, like, how deeply can hopium really go if it's like, like General Michael Flynn is just like, what is, is he just bought into it? Is he part of it? Is he is what role does he have in propagating exactly? It? It's it's so we need to find out these things. Yeah, because I don't. These think, are important questions. I think so too. Like I don't think it's enough to just be like Q was eh, fake and it was, was meant to distract you. That's it. Yes, no. and maybe, but, but maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was. I don't know, but, but, but possibly it looks like that. But. Okay, so like I run the possibility of okay. Trump campaign ran on. I mean, we could we could really diagnose this, right? Like, what did what did the Trump campaign nail? And it was Hillary's corrupt. Lock her up. <laughs> yeah. Drain the swamp. Yes, they okay. knew we wanted that. Maybe they read the playbook from beforehand and said, "Hey, this is actually a, a good platform." People, but they knew. Yes. They knew. This is what people wanted. We were at, like, didn't Trump, and maybe I'm, I get this wrong, but didn't Trump say he was going to run for president, like, way back in, like, 2012? Like, yeah. didn't he, like, start a campaign that yeah. quickly stopped? Yeah, he put the feelers out. Like, okay, maybe it was too early then. Like, he started he, it buying into birtherism. He it, pushed the birth certificate stuff. Maybe, like, so it took until 2016 where I think it was like, okay, this is when this messaging is going to take hold. So maybe he really did, like... All right, this is the campaign we're putting out. Once he wins, once he gets in, he's like, okay, well, now we have to actually do these things. And he quickly realizes uh, we can't do any of this. And Trump, we, I mean, we kind of know he's very this kind of vain guy who wants to be liked. And he's like, well, I want my base to like me. I, like, And then Q's born, like, hey, this is how we keep – we keep the base interested? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. No one knows. We don't know. There's a part of me that when I, I, when I look at what Trump did in office, it's hard for me to just sit there and dismiss it all as he was a part of some big plan. The most likely thing to me, what it looks like in hindsight, is that he actually did it on his own. Ran in opposition to the establishment and won. But he really wasn't a deviation from the establishment in the way he wanted to run the country aside from his focus on economic prosperity for America in general. That included to him the working class, but his goal was never to actually be like some FDR president where it's some radical wealth distribution to the lower yeah. class. Just a rising tide raises all ships mentality. Yeah. And in that process... He was forced by essentially probably a combination of his own confidence and style to hire from within the ranks of the D.C. establishment for a competent help that at every turn blew up in his face and went the worst way possible. But that, like, but then but I go, his that's his own fault. fault. Like, and that's where I think Corbett nails it with like the hopium, which is like, 
you you did the same shit. Yes. Like it was the same shit. That when John Bolton is in office, so like, you can't see it any other way. And like, but okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little push here because sure. like I, I I think you were guilty of this. I was guilty of this. Like I bought into William Barr being like, oh, me too. Like, Man, that's so dumb. It was a terrible choice. It was so choice. dumb. Like William Barr worked for but Bush. They all, but okay, in hindsight, they all were. Yes, but that's my point, right? Like, it's like, that's why I left that video feeling dumb. Just like I was had. But and, see, but that's okay. And here's why it's okay. Because we're, we all have been had. Yes. Because right now, the people on the left who are being had by Joe Biden as the savior, I can't even be mad at them because we've all been there. Like, yeah. I think it's impossible. Unless you're a truly, uh, a uh, uh, a third partier who has no political affiliation doesn't like anyone. Unless you've been that consistent, I think we've all been had. Yes. So to wrap all this up, I just want to say you should all go watch James Corbett. Generally, go to CorbettReport.com. That's his website. The reason why we're having this conversation at the end of the podcast rather than at the in the meat of the podcast is because then we'd have to title the podcast, you know, something entirely different. We can't title it something about Q or James Corbett. These are things that this is why censorship is so bad because they become the, it quickly becomes a very large pool of topics that you're not allowed to touch and feel comfortable. We already, we have no listeners. Like, to be honest with you, if you're listening to this, there's not a ton of us out there that are listening to this Brothers Ketchup podcast in real time. There are some, and we are very appreciative of them, but it's a small group. We already have topics that we've discussed in this episode that are completely delisted from these platforms. Now, you could probably still go listen to it. I'm just saying, in the way that we can track our analytics, our analytics, our analytics show are completely censored for topics that you would expect. Like COVID. We have an episode. What is COVID? Apparently, no one's ever no played one's ever, it. Which doesn't make sense. Because, like, not that we... Okay, like we said, right? Like, okay, it's a small listenership, but it's an outlier. We have how episodes. Come, yeah, we have episodes. Every <laughs> single episode has a certain amount of listens, plays, streams, duration, yeah. listen to. All of the stats I can look up, I've... For that one, oh, it's like it wasn't even in existence. And some others. So, like, my point is, this is something that will undoubtedly get flagged. And not that we necessarily care, but I do want to reach as many people as possible with information that I think is relevant. And in my life, I can honestly say, no one has been more formative to my core beliefs. I learned more from James Corbett than I think I have from any other source over these last now 10 years. Easily. And it's all stuff that you can go look up and verify. So I think that's what makes James Corbett particularly dangerous. I think that's why they have such a hard-on for getting him off their mainstream platforms. But Hopium was a great documentary. I took issue with just a few things. I think that there is a lot of... It's too easy to just say Q was never worth it. And you can't say Q was never worth it without at least discussing what the core message of Q was the whole time. Which was, if we all unite, we can overturn the establishment. It openly admitted... It openly admitted to some of the worst crimes the establishment commits that we believe they commit. That I know there's videos that James Corbett has put out there that he would agree with. So there are things that Q talked about that if Q was just an establishment distraction, 
it's interesting. And if it wasn't an establishment distraction, it's interesting to find out then what it was because whoever it was has a lot of information and the ability to do things that seem to be above the, uh, the ability of a normal person with normal access. It's... I think it'll go down as, like, one of the great mysteries. mysteries. Like, what was it? Why was it? I think was it? I think he will come back at some point on the same channels. Well, we'll see with, we'll see with like, the, the election stuff. Like, I don't think the election stuff is necessarily over. Um, but regardless. Um, but I'm I not put, endorsing anything other than going to watch James Corbett. I put, I put a, a comment yeah. on the Hopium video. And it's doing pretty well. It's got some replies with a, uh, looks like a dart hitting the bullseye. I'm assuming that means I nailed it. And all I said was this. What an absolutely beautiful video. I think it says a great deal about society that hopium is such an easy drug to get hooked on. And that you won't even know you're hooked on it. We're all looking for a drug because we all know we need it. Meanwhile, we can't stop fighting each other over whose hope is real. Meanwhile, we're all hooked on hopium. And I think that's the point of Corbett's video. Yeah. Is like, regardless what he says about Q, regardless what he says about Trump, Obama, whoever it is. You're a fool for believing The point it. is, for <laughs> believing any of it, you're a fool. Yes. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as we can all wean ourselves off this drug of hopium. And be honest about what, and what be honest where about, we are. About where we are and what it is. And it... My defense of Q people is only rooted in the belief that the Q people understood that more than most other people. Yes. But I think it gives me like a really good uh, place to come from now yes. when, when talking with the people on the other side. Yes. Because I get to tell them now like, no, no, you're an idiot. But it's okay. <laughs> I'm an I'm idiot, an idiot too. too. Like everything you told me about Trump, right or wrong, didn't matter. I forget the speaker – but there's a great TED talk that I post every few years over and over again about what if you're wrong and the question that you should always ask yourself. And that's why I said earlier, like, I come at everything. From, I don't know the answer. And I know I don't know the answer. I know I'm an idiot. I often preface when I promote this podcast that we are unqualified and we are, we are not the people to listen to for advice or factual information. This is a disinformation podcast. We're not your information source. Go be your information. If we say something that piques your curiosity or you want to call bullshit on, please do. Because I know virtually nothing in the grand scope of what is actually real or true. I am a moron. What a great tag. <laughs> the Brothers Ketchup, a disinformation podcast. Run by morons. morons. <laughs> and that's the point, though. Like, be entertained. Get information you find interesting. And then the information that you want to propagate is true. Go seek out. I can tell you from experience, though. James Corbett is a teller of truth. And he will do his best to give you true information. Dude, that video of him, like, putting on the mask. So you should go listen. Oh. Yeah, right? Like, he's he's just got, he does, that's what I mean, though, by, like, Jake Tapper, Rachel Maddow, Tucker Carlson, whoever you want, you want it to be. None of those people work as hard as Corbett does. Yeah, probably not. Those people... Show up to their studio, get makeup done for a couple hours, sit in front of their camera, and spout their propaganda. Which is fine. That's their job. This is the world we found ourselves in. And it's not their fault. Because honestly, if you told me I can make a couple mil a year by uh, just lying to the public, I'd probably do it too. So, to each their own. But what Corbett does from the, the 
the hills of Japan, fleeing. And by the way, like that's another reason why you look at him and go, "Well, he's got the right ideas." Like, he's like, "America, fuck that." <laughs> Living for northern Japan. Yeah, like, I'm gonna go live in the the hills. Um, and yeah, like he just, I think he just gets it. Like I, I just, and I, you, he cares. Like I think he cares about the people of this country and the world. Yes. And it must be so fr- like I find it frustrating to be me or to be you. And it's like, ah, I just feel like we we know a little bit more truth, right? Could you imagine how much how frustrating it must be to be him? Yes. Like it's got to be like every person he encounters on a day-to-day basis. Like let's say he just was in America walking the streets of any well, any state Let's say, well, obviously. <laughs> Let's say he's just walking down the street, though. If he was to ask any of those people a question about, like, the info he knows, nobody would know any of it. That must be so frustrating. Because it's clearly all out there. The information's out there. He found it all. A so it's a willingness of on us that we don't seek it out. And he tries to put it out there in the easiest form possible. Like, hey, I did the work. All I got to do is listen. Watch the video with the podcast. Um, so, yeah, great video. Go watch it. Support James Corbett if Dude, you can. Dude, it's so hot out here. And, uh, yeah. I kind of like it, though. I know. It's like a... Recording in a sauna. It's good. Well, especially as the sun... Well, at least we got this tree to block the sun because it was getting a little baked. But, anyway, thank you for listening this long after the squirt. We appreciate every one of the Brothers Ketchup Podcasts listeners out there remember to share if you like our podcast because our content for as little of for as little influence as we have obviously there are topics that people don't want discussed and we are not afraid to discuss them and we hope that you want to hear us discuss them and we look forward to discussing with you please reach out if you ever have any concerns or questions to the brothers ketchup at brothers ketchup dot proton yoohoo mail that's not really email address Good night. Bye. Welcome to After the Squirt Sports with your host, Frankie Piazzi. Hello, and welcome to After the Squirt Sports. I'm your host, Frankie Biazzi. Alongside me is... Sal, and uh, we're going to talk some sports. <laughs> I told you we'd get better at that. That wasn't bad. That was good. I don't, I don't, well, we have to listen to it because it might sound terrible. It was, like, Especially because really I got like this mic. close. So. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for bursting everybody's eardrums. This is like such a disjointed podcast. This is like three podcasts in one. Three podcasts in one. <laughs> yeah, like, where are you going to put this? After the after the school. After the after. Okay. This is a post-post. Okay, let's get into some sports. Let's end Yankees. Okay. Because that's what we really Trade know we're talking Xavier about. Trade Xavier Howard, damn it. I love the guy. No, I don't want to do not do this again. I don't want to <laughs> just argue with you for 20 minutes going in circles. <laughs> you don't trade a top five position player at their job unless you have to. We kind of almost do. No, you don't. If he doesn't come back for training camp, you're going to have to. We're going to have to sit him. Listen. I am of the belief that if you're a cornerback in this league, yes. you should never be a diva because you're not that important. 
Like, you are important. Obviously, if you're really good at your job, that's great. I would love to but have... But he's been compensated well. He's He got paid, which is why I'm saying, like, I don't think the organization should bow down to Xavier Howard and they be should like, really here's say, his money. Yeah. But I think it's fair for him to want a little bit more, sit down, come to an agreement, and be like, listen, we're not going to give you any more, any more money. I'll, we'll, we'll add another year or two to your contract, and we'll give you... Um, some incentives, but as far as like yearly salary goes, like like what are we doing? Like we just paid you, um, and if you can't come to an agreement there, then yes, trade him. But I might be willing to do something where I'm like, hey, we'll renegotiate the entire deal if you put up another season like that. Yeah, like do it again. Like why do you want to get paid now? You scared? Yeah, you're not do you want to play again? or not? Like, you never play. And we paid you. We rewarded you because we had faith in you. And you delivered on that. And, and we appreciate you. And as a sign of good faith, we're willing... No, I agree. Prove Actually, you've changed my mind. Because we paid you before you did what you did. Yes, after we, your injury. But we paid you because we knew that's what you were capable of. No one else would have paid you that. So now you did it. Well, that's what you got paid to do. You don't get to... Now we're... The, the next pay, if we were to give you more money, that's because we would believe you're capable of more. Maybe we don't think you're capable of more. Maybe that was your top end. So yeah, like, either way, that could be your career season. Way, I do think too many Dolphins fans are like itching to trade Xavier Howard, and I don't but, think that should be the first thought is like trade him. I think the first thought should be like, okay, I think how do we get this from, guy back? That comes from the belief that this defense will be good enough without him to keep the offense afloat, and that. In the long term, it's the better option anyway, especially if he's going to demand even more money of our cap. And it is. It really, you can't convince me that long term, two, three seasons from now, it wouldn't be better to actually trade him for a first and a second. Because he's going to be post 30 years old in two or three seasons. You know, he's, going, he's turning 29. And there's not many NFL players, especially at the cornerback position, they who get better, get at, better that at that age. Yeah. So if you can bring in another cornerback or two with two more picks high in the draft, you might hit gold again. I just wish he was doing this, like, next year. Because, like, if you had – yeah, if, you if would, he balled out this year and, and then did this next year, I would be no so hesitation. much yeah. – No. Oh, you'd want to trade I'd, him. I would <laughs> trade him next year. Because I need this year – I don't know. Because don't forget, we just got rid of Bobby McCain, too. Like, that defense now – Bobby McCain – like, okay, Xavier Howard might have been the best player on the defense in the back, in the secondary, but Bobby McCain ran that secondary. Uh, Bobby McCain is still limited in his ability. I'm not saying, I'm not saying his ability. I'm he, saying he was... You drafted he, Holland because you believe he's going to no, be no, no, Bobby no. McCain, but I don't better care, athletically. I don't care about the ability. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about ability. I'm talking about experience, leadership. That's what Bobby McCain brought to you in that position. So it's fine if you don't want Bobby McCain. I'm totally okay with not having Bobby McCain because what you're saying, right? We think Javon Holland is going to be better, and he's going to give us some things that Bobby McCain couldn't do. You don't want to take that many do. hits to the secondary. Yes. But they brought in McCourty. And by hits, I mean like, okay, if you take Xavier and Howard out, who's now the most tenured guy in that secondary? Who is it? Uh, Eric Rowe? Eric yep. Rowe's going to lead that, <laughs> that unit? Nick Needham now. I don't like that. Needham's come a so long like, way. So that's where I'm like, if this was next year, yeah, I'd be like, you know what? Now there's, 
Like, I can't wait to see. But look what... at the faith this organization just put in, in Baker. I cannot with wait. The linebackers like Van Gie... to To see what Noah Igbignogany is this season. I watched that video of him doing the workouts. That man might be the. He's got DK Metcalf's body, but on a cornerback. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a physically gifted person. It's crazy. So I think he's gonna have a massive season, or maybe not massive, but I think he's gonna be really good. Um, I think that you'll probably be able to trade to get teams like the Eagles or the. How long do you have to restructure a contract? Can you do it mid-season? I don't know what the rules are. Because like, if you could, why couldn't they just be like, listen, why don't we just do it like on a trial basis? Like, if you through the first four games. Look like you're doing what you were you're doing last year. We'll pay you. We'll pay you. No. No negotiate. I don't want him thinking like that. I do. Listen, if that's what's going to motivate these guys to get them to to play, I don't care what it is. Just get them out there playing. Um. But whatever. So I hope there's a lot of Dolphins fans out there listening. Oh, so many of them. Um, our, pad, our podcast is more right, so reliable than three yards per carry. That's football. Gone. Done. The NBA, the scenario NBA, happened where none of the teams no are in the No big teams are in. We got the Milwaukee Bucks facing off against the Atlanta Hawks. Everyone loves that. Yeah, everyone can't wait At for that At least Atlanta series. is kind of a big market. Everyone's... But Milwaukee's going to win. I don't know. Probably. But maybe not. <laughs> um, and then we got... I can't believe the Nets are The out. Suns playing the Clippers. Woo! Well, the Clippers are at least in L.A. They have to lose. So... Great, great playoffs basketball. I want it to be Milwaukee versus Phoenix. The Game 7 Nets-Bucks <laughs> games was incredible. Yeah. Kevin Durant is awesome. And he misses that last shot at the end in overtime, but, like, whatever. Dude had no help on that team. I don't even think Kyrie Irving was hurt. I, I think he could have played. Play. I think he just didn't <laughs> want to play. Like, the fact that they didn't even make the Eastern Conference Finals with that roster... That's pretty pathetic. Oh, it sucks. Really shows how good the LeBron, Wade, and Bosch team was. All right, basketball. Done. Hockey. How do you feel about John Rahm? Oh, right. Uh, I told you Ustazen wasn't winning that shit. Uh, like, was I, pr- I wasn't predicting Ustazen to win. He had no chance. He looked nervous the whole time. There's a reason why he has six runner-ups in majors. <laughs> he can't, can't close the door. Um... I thought it was actually awesome by John Rom. That to win in that fashion is after they stole a win from him is absolutely incredible. And I I don't like John Rom. Like I'm you not even a John big... Rom fan, but after what happened to him two weeks ago at the memorial, I was all for him. You know the big novelty checks they photograph you with? Yeah. He should take a picture of it, like while he, like him pissing on it, like right in front of all the PGA officials John handing Rom? it to him. Yes. Why would Just he do like, that? Well, first of all, it's not a real check. You don't actually cash yeah, it. Yeah, but why? What's the symbolism? Fuck you guys. Like, you stole money from me last week. You better give me well, this I money. I mean, it's kind of his fault. Like, I had to earn this shit. How was it his fault? For what? I mean, I agree. I think they should have let him play with COVID. Like, I think Michael we, Jordan. I think it would have been so easy. Most it, famous game moment is the flu game. Yeah, but if you watch the last dot, uh, the last wasn't dance. The last dance wasn't even the flu. It was bad pizza, and they think the theory is like 
the people at the pizza poison. at the pizza the place poison. poison yeah but i don't buy that and regardless but we I mean, never they freak out about athletes they really should have just let him play in yes. the early with covid and let no him one win. near anyone but regardless um golf done <laughs> uh hockey islanders have the series tied with tampa 2-2 islanders when's that last game uh well they have to play tonight and then the game next game is Wednesday. Oh, they have seven game series throughout. Yeah. That's so excessive. Dude. There's I don't a lot know. Of playoffs. In hockey, what's so crazy to me about hockey is like it seems like every series goes at least six games. If not game. seven. Like, no hockey series gets closed out in five. Yeah, it's rare. So like that's so much hockey to play to win a Stanley Cup. It might be the hardest route to a championship in sports. Baseball's pretty easy. Like, if you think about it. They're like, going to try and get seven-game series throughout. They should. Like, like they really should. They're wild-card series. They're, well, I don't think that. I think, <laughs> But I do think the wild-card series should be a series, not a game. If they expand, baseball should think about adding four teams. I know that sounds like a lot. It's not but that in many. all honesty, you add four teams, everyone loses a rank of their farm system. You don't need four tiers of farm system. I think you go down There's to, more than four. Yes. There's triple-A, there's double-A, there's single-A. But I think There's high-A, low-A. Rookie ball, spring ball, winter ball. You should merge, essentially, triple and double A <coughs> and add four teams out of the rosters that you dis, that you discard. If you're going to get rid of minor league teams anyway, use it to expand major league baseball. You add those players to... And, it's, and it should be guys that are like Chris Gittins. Give me a sick expansion like, draft. Yeah, like guys who have well, been look in, at, in look the Look at the Yankees who, when, they had, um, when they made that trade and we had... Uh, we got Garrett Cooper. Yeah. Well, Garrett Cooper didn't really stand out for us. We he's a, he's a he professional plays, player. He plays every single day for the Miami look Marlins. At, and he's look good. At, look at who the – what's his name on the Tampa Bay Rays? He's another first baseman. Uh, uh, G-Man Choi? Choi. He's a professional baseman. There's so many professional look, baseball look, players. Look, Luke Voigt. Yes. Luke Voigt was hidden away in the Cardinals. Mike Talkman. Well, There's a on. lot of guys who are professional are, players. Okay, we might call them quadruple-A players. Who have the potential to be major league players. And those teams you might form may suck for a while. But but that's okay. You, you got teams that suck now. You just have to get them into the mix. Yes. Put them in put them in Washington State or Portland, Oregon, or or Nashville. Nashville or put them wherever. Mexico City, I don't care. But then once you do all that, you should expand the playoffs so that the wild card series are of a, it's going to be a lot more teams. So they're trying to expand the playoffs with the amount of teams there are now. It doesn't foolish. work in baseball. Add more playoff teams. Add more teams, and I'm all for expanding yes. playoffs. And then make the playoffs five game wild card series, have a big wild card round, and then have a, like, a play in tournament, essentially. The only problem with expanding a wild card round. And shorten the major league season. The only problem with expanding the wild card round to. Right, let's say the wild card round is five games. In baseball, we both know this. It's different than football. It's different than hockey with, like, days off. You don't really want that many days off in baseball. Like, you, you want to kind of stay hot. What do you do with the teams that aren't in the wild card round? Are they just starting their series? Because they're waiting on a winner from the – like, how do you do that? Is it a five-game series and you have two doubleheaders they so can play, you're getting the series done play, in three days? What if they played each other, like, in two- or three-game series for seeding? No, because I, I, I don't. I think the seating needs to be done 
based on record. Because I think baseball's But it could be. Baseball needs to, to force people to be but good think about during it the this regular way. season. Think about it this way. If all right, the season I would shrink the season down to 152 games. To the old to the old way it was. That gives you like almost two weeks free of the calendar. And when the season ends in that two week time frame and the playoffs are starting with five game series in the wildcard round, after the first one or two games are over, you play the first game of seeding tournaments. The first seed hosts that game in their ballpark. They get to host all of those seeding games in their ballpark based on a record. But seeding in the playoffs is done by who wins those series. So essentially you'd have like the first and fourth or sixth seeds, I don't know how that would work depending on how many wildcard teams you had, playing each other in the the higher seeds ballpark in two game sets to determine who's going to be the one seed to host the team that finishes the last in the wildcard series. I didn't follow. I think it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. What if you did? All right. So what is it right now? The three division winners. Yes. Two wild cards. Mm -hmm. That's it? Yes. Okay. So you expand it and you do. The top, the top two, the top two of each division, plus a wild card. But see, if you add four teams, you essentially should then reorganize how you do divisions in baseball. Oh, I think you would. Um, all right, so here would be my idea: the teams that are the playing league, so in the probably, wild card, yeah. you do the because like we're trying to grow the game, right? Yeah. So in between the playoff games that are actually going on, in order to get the other teams work, they bring in the the champion of the KBO, they bring in the champion of like the Australian Baseball League, all the different baseball leagues around the world. You bring in the champions, and they just kind of play scrimmages against the teams that, and you televise them, and just just to keep the the opposing teams kind of loose and getting working, and you're kind of broadcasting world talent. Yes, that could work. But I think I you know I think a way that you could increase the appeal of baseball. Baseball needs to go back and embrace its tradition a little bit and break the leagues. Instead of going to one unified MLB, kind of go back to like giving each league a little more autonomy and really like get rid of interleague. Add the four teams. Each league gets two more teams. Have a full 152-game season where a league without pitchers called the National League plays a season that's almost completely separate from another league called the American League. And their ge- the geographic that gives, that's so different from like basketball or hockey how they do it by geography. Yeah. It wouldn't be by geography. Each league has teams all across the country, and some cities have two teams in different, in different leagues. leagues. Yeah. And then at the end, that's crazy good for you. Use that, and then at the end of the season, you can well, expand the playoffs. There used to be a time where like people legitimately had. Two favorite teams, right? Like, yeah. well, my AL team is this, this is my NL team. Yeah. And people still kind of do that, but it doesn't make as much sense now because it's like, well... Everyone plays each other. Everyone plays each other. It's all kind of the same thing. But, like, if they are two different leagues... And like, you could really do... You could have one league where you play by traditional rules and have another league where all your stupid experimental shit you can do. But what do you do in the playoffs when they in the World Series? Seeding. No, no, in the World Series. Like, Seeding. No, no, no. When you get to the World Series... Yes. How do you 
what rules stick, what rules go. Same way as always. I would go by – well, not always because baseball is so bad at this. They've always If you're in the home park, you play these play rules. The, if you're in the away park, you play yes, the other rules. Yes, and it's rules. determined by seeding who gets home field. <clears throat> that would be great. People would be interested no, in that. I was thinking about it when the uh, – when they let the All-Star game – used to, like, determine home field in the World Series. And then yeah. they tried – not tried. They did change that, like, a few years ago. I remember going, hey, why would they change that? I don't like that. What a ridiculous – I can't believe they actually let a, a meaningless all-star game where people don't even try in this determine home field advantage in the World Series. Terrible. Whose terrible. idea was that? Bud Selig. He should be shot <laughs> if he's still alive because that's – what an asinine thought! It was bad. I didn't, I didn't mind it so much because the AL was always so dominant. In the well, that's why I didn't mind it. But looking back on it, but it is terrible. It's so dumb, especially because you made the All Star game meaningless at the same time, and your solution to making it not meaningless was by ruining the World Series home field advantage. Um, before we get into Yankees, yes, home run derby coming up. Okay. A couple weeks. Do we know who's in it yet? The only person I know who's going to be in it for sure. Aaron Judge. Shohei Otani. Oh, he's going to hit some bombs. I'm excited. But see, lefties... Well, that's, I can't really say this. Cause it's not true. I was saying lefties sometimes struggle in the home run derby, but there's been a lot of lefty winners. Bombs, I, feel like, lefty, I feel like lefties have such an easy time poppy, in the home run derby. Depending on where it is. Remember Cano? Does he bat lefty? Do you remember Cano? I was so happy when he won. Oh my god. Cano's going to have no legacy. It's such a shame. Yeah. Legitimately one of the greatest players of my... Watch, of, like, I've watch gotten play. to watch. And... and he would be like... I would tell people he's my favorite... Like, now I always go back to Bernie Williams. Like, who's your favorite baseball player? Who, I would admit, probably isn't a Hall of Famer, but definitely should have gotten more recognition for the Hall of Fame than he did. Who's your favorite player right now? Do you have a favorite player right now in the league? Is it Gary? It's got to be Gary. Especially when he's hot. It's definitely Gary. When it's not hot, I'm ashamed to say that it's Gary. But Gary is really, he's always been so good. And if he gets a little better at any point in the next few years, he's going to be a Hall of Fame catcher, dude. That's going to trigger people. His career OPS is 820. Okay, they just did this on Talking Yanks yesterday, so I I don't like taking other people's podcasts and bringing it to ours. But it was... Two, he's batting 237 this year. His yeah. career batting average is 236. His OPS this year is 820. His career OPS is 820. Yeah. So he's been hot this year. His hot numbers are his career. It's his career. He hasn't been hot this year. He's yeah. been hot lately. But remember the first. But that's his career. He was, he's, we've always said it. He's the, he, the things about Gary Sanchez, he has the potential to change. He could raise his batting average 100 points in a month. Oh, easy. He, when he gets hot like this, and there's no telling how long this can go. I mean, he did it for 2016 and he did 2017 it for two were hot months. streaks. He did it in 2016, he did it for two full months. Yes. And then in now, 2017, he did it for a whole year. And in 20, 2019, he did it for a whole year minus one month. So far in Gary's career, his cold streaks have been as impressively bad as his hot streaks have been bad. But throughout his minor league career, that wasn't the case. But the Gary Sanchez thing still, like, I mean... But I have to chalk it up to his mentality and his immaturity. Also, his... Uh, there is something about Gary Sanchez, though, where it's like... The defense is so easy to place for him. 
Yes. He must be the most predictable hitter in the world when you look at his like spray charts. Because his BAPIP is historically low in yeah. the seasons where he's has awful seasons. But I do think that this hot streak is giving me more hope that Gary... Because he's only 28, dude. He yeah. could have five or six more years where he puts up numbers. Dude, look at what Yachty is still doing at his age. Yeah. So, like, there's and, no... And Gary always gets killed for his defense. He is a defensive asset on the field. He's a better defensive catcher than Higashioka. I'll it, always say that. Just because of the arm. The arm the alone. Arm. The arm alone And is he's been so better important. at blocking balls. He's been great at blocking. He calls a good game. But blocking, to me, isn't really that big of a deal. Um, it is something. His pitch framing. His pitch framing is where he's not great. I don't... But I don't... When I watch him, I don't... I see a lot of the time when the call doesn't go his way, but I don't know how much of that is even ever on him. Yeah, but if you look at the... Just by the, the, the pitch framing stats, I know. like Higashioka is a much better framer. But, but, again, like... Sometimes I feel like because he's Gary Sanchez, he's perceived a certain way by everyone. And everyone just shits... Like, I feel like the umpires just don't give Gary calls. Both when he's hitting and when he's catching. I don't think his talent as a pitch framer is poor because early in his career, he was a very good pitch framer. Yes. I don't think anything's changed. When I watch him, I think he's done the same. Correct. I just think Uh, that he has a reputation of being like Lazy Gary or something. He's one of the players in just like any sport, like when you just talk about guys who when when they get confidence. Yes. When Gary has confidence... Uh, good luck. Yeah. Like when he knows he's the the best, you can't get anything by him. It's crazy. Um, all right, real quick. Yankees just had a great week. I'm not convinced it means anything. Swept the Blue Jays. Took two or three from the A's. Off today. Tomorrow we start a series against the Royals. You gotta win. You gotta be feeling. You gotta better. win most games. I'm feeling from. better. I was pretty down a week ago. Definitely was the a Blue positive series. set of games. I said going into the week, facing the Blue Jays and A's, I said we will end this week below 500. So that didn't happen. They proved me wrong. Great. Very happy about it. But I still don't know. Like, If you go out and you don't show up against the Royals and you go face the Red Sox and get swept again, well, now we're right back to just the season's over. So. Yeah. You did this to yourself with your awful start to the season, and then you got you had like a good hot stretch, and then you immediately ruined that with the worst stretch of baseball you played. It's like you now have to walk this tightrope of like you kind of have to be perfect the rest of the way. Like you can't afford to have bad stretches that last longer than like four games. Like you always have to be winning series at this point. So. I'm nervous because I want to be fully bought in because I think I'm going to a Yankees-Red Sox game in July. And I would love to be going to that game when, like, if we're only, like, two games out of first. Because we were nine games out of first, and we're only four and a half. It's like, I want us to be good. Clearly. We have an opportunity. We're playing the Royals. Go sweep them. You should. Go sweep them. And then you got to beat the Red Sox. When they come around. Have to. Have to take two or three. You can't be a bitch to the AL East. 
Because you're never going to make the playoffs if you're going to lose to the A's. Well, we just we were able to sweep the Jays, which I didn't think we had any chance to do because the Jays have been kicking our ass. So that was cool. I feel like in this A, at least rock paper scissors, we're like the Jays kind of. What do you mean? I feel like the Rays kick our ass, but we kick the Jays' ass. But the Jays we don't kind kick of, the Jays' ass. But we kind of have this year. No, we at didn't. home. At home, we have. We just had the first sweep. That was the first series we won against. I think we've won five of six at home. I think you're wrong. I think I'm right. Might even be more. It's, it's definitely not more. We just did this. We were three <laughs> and six against them going into the last. Yeah. So we're probably six and we're probably six and one at home. The the season series is six and six. We're a five hundred team against the Blue Jays. Yeah. So that's not good. It's well, okay. But we're, we've been bad in, in Buffalo. Also, three of our wins were in Buffalo. We swept them in Buffalo. <laughs> Did we? Yes. All right, then I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> the That's Rays why you're kick the our host ass. of after The, the Red Sox sports. kick our ass. Have kicked our ass. So I don't know. I forgot the Orioles exist. They don't. They should put a National League team in Baltimore. That'd be cool. They that, should... When they expand, they should just put... They should just go to markets that are failing. They should just put, and put a, a team in team. Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like, Seattle. Spur on the other team. Seattle. What else? What else? What's, the fourth, what's the fourth location? It's uh, got to be Seattle, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. Yeah, those three are easy. Who gets the fourth one? Is it Arizona? Tampa's not worth it. Is it Arizona? Could be. But the Diamondbacks are an expansion. Team. Arizona have lost 17 straight baseball games. That's more impressive than winning 17 straight Jeez. baseball games. All the great Diamondbacks that they disgrace when they take the field. Like Randy Johnson. The Yankees, since this was the stat yesterday, <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. Since May 21st, the Yankees have more triple plays turned than the Diamondbacks have wins. Oof. <laughs> that's crazy. It's pretty bad. Alright, I think that's about it for after the squirt sports all right well thanks for listening well you should sign off after the squirt sports i don't have a sign off for after the squirt sports